1: 85% of the folks have bank accounts, but only about 20% of them actually use the bank. They rely on other forms to meet their financing needs. These guys don't have access to credit. Like As a startup would be launched back in 2018, the lending market in Sri Lanka was $5 billion. And what we understood is from this $5 billion requirement, almost 40% was relied on loan sharks and individuals who have very dubious practices of charging excessive interest rates as well as very unpleasant collection methods
2: ck prahalad's the fortune at the bottom of the pyramid came out while i was doing my mba and it really shaped my thinking it's part of the reason i'm proud of the work we're doing at confirm you to facilitate access to credit for the underbanked now let me not climb on any high horses. The vast majority of my career has been spent helping high street banks lend to high street customers, but back to the at hat. Lending to these bottom-of-the-pyramid communities can be difficult to get right, or perhaps it's more a case of it can be easy to get away with doing it wrong, and so many have in the past. But when you do strike that balance, you can take away the poverty premium that comes from having to buy single-serving everythings. Because sometimes a more flexible cash flow is all that you need. Probably because of my own background, I've only ever thought of this from that angle. How can we help a consumer that currently has to buy a single serving of shampoo twice a week, free up time and budget by being able to buy one big bottle a month with its associated discounts? The thing is, though, the shop that is selling that shampoo often has the exact same problem. Unilever might be making the shampoo, but typically it is a little mom and pop family store that's actually selling it. And they can find their growth limited by their access to working capital. If you can't stock your store, you can't grow with demand spikes. And if you can't grow with demand spikes, you might find it hard to survive demand dips. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. Lakshan de Silva, co founder and co CEO at Hyperglade, vice president of the venture capital arm of Veracity AI, venture partner at Hatchworks, CFO at Spectrify AI, and co founder and CEO at iLoan.
1: Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, brother. Pleasure to be here.
2: Lakshan, that might be the widest ranging list of roles I've covered on the show. So we'll have to do some cherry picking as we get deeper into it. But before we do that, would you mind just talking me through your early career, which seems to have its roots in some pretty traditional banking names, before your recent entrepreneurial run?
1: I always wanted to, as a kid, bring up in Sri Lanka, which is you do not know not known for advanced tech or advanced financial markets. I always wanted to work in Wall Street, so I was brought and brought up in Sri Lanka, but I had the good fortune of studying in the US. And upon graduation, I was lucky enough to get picked up by Citibank. This was in the midst of the global financial crisis. So, finance was a very, very iffy place back then to join. So, it was at City Holdings working on a special projects team. That was like three to four months, and the key was let go because the current crisis was getting worse. And it was actually at the time, it was disheartening because this was like the first time you'd have Wall Street Bank and I was let go. But I, I used to play some rugby, and a former partner from Goldman Sachs who Happened to be playing rugby, he had a hedge fund, and he's like, Would you like to go and work for me? And th- at the time, I thought he was running like a rugby equipment store, but it turned out he was a hedge fund. So I was able to get back into Wall Street. And I was a 22 year old kid coming from Sri Lanka, not much exposure like in the early 2000s as you would have now. So it was a lot of exciting and nerve wracking times, but I think kind of helped me get perspective on how the markets work, how people are queued, how different people are wired differently and what incentivizes to. And I did a deep dive into the futures and commodities markets because we were a global macro fund. I did some trading in Chicago as well while working in New York. And I got a good offer for high energy to be a research analyst for that covering oil and gas, covering soft agricultural commodities, as well as metals. And uh, after about a year and a half doing that, I realized I like the action of it, not writing about it. And I, I, I feel like I need to align myself with a purpose bigger than myself. And entrepreneurship always appealed to me. And in in the U.S., you have what you call an H1B visa, which I was actually fortunate to not forget. And the condition on that H1B visa is that you have to stay within a certain domain. If you want to do a pivot into, let's say, a tech company, that might be not as straightforward as it might seem. So, okay, are you going to work towards getting your work permit or your Greek card sorted, or are you going to focus on solving problems? At that point, I took the call. Hey, I need to go back to Asia, which is known for having problems, especially in my like country, Sri Lanka. It's like we have a ton of problems at any given time. So, coming into an area with a lot of problems would kind of help me build my skills as an entrepreneur. So, came to Sri Lanka to work at this uh, fintech called Cash Me. This was uh, in the heydays of uh, fintech, and we raised close to about a million dollars back then. That we got voted as one of the top. 30 fintechs in ASEAN, which was quite a recognition. I mean, if you look at now, I mean, ASEAN is one of the most digitized in the world. So it was a good recognition. But what Cashly taught me is like how to figure out your business models, how to fine tune it, how metrics like, you know, users might not actually serve you well in the long run. That was my experience with Cashly. Unfortunately, the Cashly business model lacked certain aspects, which got exposed when uh, banks like DBS and Singapore started offering things like Payla, which had subsidized interpayment between consumers.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because you talked about the digitization of the region, but also, of course, there was also a huge and early push towards instant payments, direct payments to friends. You know, you went to New York on this big adventure, you got into Wall Street, you got into the world of high finance, and then you took the foray into the startup world. And it didn't necessarily go exactly to plan. It could have then been a time to send you back into one of the big banks in your salaried life. But instead, you doubled down. So after that first step into someone else's startup, very quickly, you were founding your own startup in iLoan. So what was that spark?
1: What What I tried to figure out was ASEAN... Collectively, have close to about two billion people, and within those two billion people, the population growth rates are high. The economies are growing. So, if you look at the unbanked and underbanked in society, it's quite substantial, and it's the shadow banking system that kind of dictates who borrows what at what cost. And most of these folks who do that are loan sharks, and that like kind of perpetuates this you know kind of self depreciating uh, loop. So, with iLoan. The thesis was very straightforward. We wanted to create a dignified way of life for the every mom and pop store in the country. What are the areas where most people are active in, like in terms of the scalability of the model? That's when we figured out, okay, there are retailers selling milk powder, but selling sugar. So, And we went back to the suppliers of these retailers, which are Unilever's, Procter & Gamble, Nestle, Fonterra, which, which are large multinationals with a good footprint in this part of the world and also has very good data on who the good customers are and consumer peers. So using that, it was a working capital requirement that we kind of reverse engineer to the multinational, and we asked them if we help you guys hit these targets, are you guys willing to do a rev chat? And if we went to the distributor and asked, hey, if the retailer pays you on time, are you willing to do a rev chat? With the retailer, we asked, hey, we're offering you collateral-free credit Believing in the value chain you're active in and give the data provided to us by your supplier. Would you guys be interested in uh, working with us and paying us a small interest, which is comparable to that of the bank interest? Rate. So all three checked off. That's when we realized we actually had a product market fit. With that in mind, we started scaling up the product.
2: Yeah, Lakshan, I think one of the things that's interesting with the loan model, and, and I guess trade finance in general for myself, is that as a consumer and somebody who's worked on consumer lending, but not really the SME world, is you can forget about how much money is caught up in the system, you know, just sort of waiting around trying to get between retailers and distributors and manufacturers. So I'm really keen to understand that a bit more, how you've brought those together. But Sri Lanka is a country and a market that doesn't make many headlines. If I think of it, in fact, I've only really got one rather bad memory in my mind of a, a rainy day in Durban about 20 years ago in the Cricket World Cup where South Africa messed up the maths and got themselves knocked out of their own World Cup. But if we think about the country as a as a marketplace, primarily in terms of SMEs and SME lending, but just in general, kind of what was that market like six years ago when you, you started iLoans? And what were the hoops that a typical sort of mom-and-pop store would have to jump through if they did want to get finance?
1: Sure. And uh, just for the record, I think it was Mark Balanchuk who was defending that last ball.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think he cheered as well. I
1: heard it So yeah, to answer your question, uh, the biggest reason for people not to have access to working capital is lack of collateral, which is about 60% of the issue, and lack of KYC, because especially in emerging markets identity is still getting established. In Asia, this is a $600 billion issue. Um, this is South, Southeast, and East Asia. And what this creates is a vicious form of informal lending, excessive interest rates, and illegal collection methods. And as as a startup and as a Sri Lankan, I wanted to use Sri Lanka as a base case. This is a small enough country with 21 million people. It has a decent literacy rate of 95% comparable with the developed world. But its economy, it still hasn't taken off, I don't think, since independence, Sri Lanka has ever achieved its true potential. But in Sri Lanka, what we understood is the SME sector accounts for almost 75% of the in- industries, provides almost 45 to 50% of employment, and contributes over like 50% of the GDP. So there's an opportunity here. But these guys don't have access to credit. As a startup, when we launched back in 2018, the lending market in Sri Lanka was $5 billion, which is not that big in a global sense. And from this $5 billion requirement, only $3 are met through formal channels, which is about 60%. Almost 40% was relied on loan sharks and individuals who have very dubious practices of charging excessive interest rates as well as very unpleasant collection methods.
0: Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live, and move to the UK. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear,
2: and t-shirts are super soft.
1: we realized there might be a potential for us to provide credit underwriting to a blockchain solution. We went into the moment pop stores. They have data, and that data is of certain value. And if we could use that data and reverse engineer back in the supply chain from the point of origination to the point of distribution and know, work upstream, midstream, downstream, you figure out certain pain points which could be solved through data which actually improves the quality of life and the experience and cost savings for everyone involved. So that was kind of the premise we went with. We just narrowed down on a big enough problem. We launched it with one of the ice cream producers in Sri Lanka, trying to try to get things sweet. We were like, "Hey, uh, do you guys want to sell more ice cream?" Uh, you know, they give like 15 days credit. We were like, "Why don't we make it 21 days? Do you think they'll buy two boxes more, which would be 10% more of your top line?" And also we requested in terms of the data to provide us with the top 10% of their customer base. Because when I went and met their CEO, I was like, hey, if you guys want to like, you know, park some of your bad debts with us, we're going to die off after like a couple of months. But if you want to like build your own business, figure out what's the uppermost point in your industry, if there's sufficient working capital, then we could work together. And we started with ice cream back in March and we had about three users. By September that same year, we had about nineteen thousand users. That it was quite a heartening experience because you know there's a bank every corner in Sri Lanka. I mean, Sri Lanka is actually an uber bank country compared to some of its Asian peers or African peers or South American peers. It's just that eighty five percent of the folks have bank accounts, but only about twenty percent of them actually use the bank. So. They rely on, you know, other forms to meet their financing needs. So that was how we kind of got into this space.
2: Yeah, and it's it's impressive the sort of results you can get just by tweaking a little bit of that funding to to terms that better fit their business. I want to keep you on the topic of blockchain because obviously it's an area that you're a bit of an expert in. Or well, What role does it play in linking together these disparate parties?
1: Sure. One of the big plus points for blockchain technology is its ability to create transparency and its ability to create records which are not changeable. So the transparency component is what we were striving towards was open-loop lending, which means we don't take collateral, which also means we believe in a supply chain and then we take a bet on it. The blockchain technology we were using was Hyperledger, and we connected the notes in terms of the supplier, for example, it could be a multinational like Unilever. Then we connected with the retailer. We had our app on their phone, and then we connected with the bank, which is lending, and then also the distributor. So at the time, tokenomics was not as popular. But in time to come, what we realized is we could actually create a derivatives product which reflects the actual market condition, rather than a derivatives product which tends to be used for speculation. If you think
2: about some of the mom-and-pop stores, some of the retailers that you've been helping with their funding. Have you got any kind of on-the-ground success stories that you've seen of of being able to support in a more stable, more affordable way the growth of some of these small businesses?
1: At any given time, a mom-and-pop shop is limited by their working capital, so they can actually service their market. Based on their needs, we get a unique insight because we partnered up with pretty much all the suppliers. So, we had more data on the retail store than the retail store knew about himself, which actually gave them data driven insights because in Sri Lanka and most Asian countries, like especially that type of mom and pop shops, like they sometimes just feel bored. And they close the shop and go home at three o'clock. And obviously <laughs> the sales are going to get affected. But uh, what we were able to do is we were able to kind of help them efficiently allocate their capital because they didn't know what to sell. They they just have like a standard bottle and they take about six months. They're like, oh, we need six cartons of milk, three boxes of toothpaste or something. So we were able to use that data to show the supplier, hey, you guys need to focus on this particular market here. There's a new apartment complex coming up. Because it's in the inherent interest of that supplier that this kiosk goes from like a 40 by 40 box to like a grocery store. You know, they can put more stuff.
2: Yeah, and I think it's one of the key problems with the unaffordable um, debt to, or well, unaffordable loans to small businesses, is that they can only stock to a limited level. So if we kind of average days, if there's a really good day, they just close shop early. So they don't make that extra benefit. But as soon as there's a downturn, the loans are unaffordable and the business shuts down. And it, even just the affordable debt allows them far more flexibility, which sort of actually translates to far more stability in their business. And then the data insights to allow them to take advantage of the rises and falls. I think it's huge in being able to build businesses that can be resilient to downturns, to grow when it's a time to grow, and then sort of see and react to to downturns. So, Lakshman, if if someone's listening and they want to learn more about the iLoan product, uh, maybe they want to get involved with you directly in that ecosystem, or maybe they just want to get their heads a little bit more around trade finance and and how you can do that in a developing market with modern technology like blockchain and AI. Where's a good place for them to go and read up?
1: I mean, you could always drop us an email. I mean, and LinkedIn is a pretty good tool. I mean, that's how Brendan and I connected as well. So I think just feel free to drop us a message.
2: Yeah, great. Well, I'm sure people will take you up on that. But I'm not going to let you go just yet. As I said there in the introduction, you're doing a lot more than just iLoan. And in particular, you're doing quite a lot of work in the VC space in Sri Lanka and, I guess, the larger uh, ASEAN region. I'd love to hear what you see next, what's developing or what's proving to be popular in this sort of the broader fintech space.
1: Sure. What I'm doing is probably an occupational hazard and Sri Lanka is not a developed ecosystem. So people tend to wear multiple hats. So the VC space in South and Southeast Asia is pretty dynamic. And if you take, for example, our immediate neighbors, India, India has a very robust startup ecosystem, which is well funded by Silicon Valley to European based VCs. And Same with Southeast Asia. We have a presence in Singapore. Singapore is a good help to get connected if you want to like tap into the VC deal flow. Interestingly enough, the deal flow happening in Southeast Asia has been pretty decent despite the funding winter we're experiencing these days and the whole <coughs> negative news surrounding startups, funding, VCs. It's still, for all intents and purposes, you know, if you have a good business model, then if you have, like, if you're doing the right things, you should be able to survive. So, the see space is very exciting and dynamic in this sport of the world.
2: Great. And, uh, yeah, one last thing is you're, of course, also co-founder and co-CEO of Hyperglade. And you're also the CFO at Spectrify AI. So... What innovations are you you bringing to market there? Obviously, not as directly related to the lending world, but I still think pretty interesting for the audience.
1: Right, but late, we started that as an NFT company like two years ago, because we knew a lot of content creators wanted to put their creations online, and it morphed into multiple things. We did this first NFT auction to great success. The NFT market was getting saturated. There were too many rug pulls. There were too many dubious projects. We looked at the big picture. We realized that internet is evolving and maturing and going into a more decentralized technology. So we're actually positioning our services to be a B2B play where we enable companies migrate from Web 2 to Web 3. And it's going to take another three, four years for the market to saturate and for the infrastructure to set in. But we have a few folks we work with closely. It's very dynamic because there's a lot of noise. Like everyone was an NFT expert last year now everyone's AI expert. So yeah. So it's, uh, it's one of those things. In terms of Spectrify, we're an agri-tech startup uh, using AIML and computer vision to help agricultural supply chains ensure quality control and quality assurance. Globally, right now, with global warming to geopolitics, food security is a big concern. And on top of that, any given supply chain, almost 30% of the output goes away due to lack of quality assurance. So what we've understood is if we incentivize the supply chain to abide by quality, one, it will ensure that there's a certain level of food security. And also, the folks who are the farmers have a dignified way of living, have access to financing, and access to better technology. Because I feel like if you're going to start with first principle that technology is even right as a part of education, access to education, then it's only fair for us to roll this out as a product.
2: Yeah, well, lots of exciting projects on your plate at the moment. So thank you very much, Lakshan, for making the time.
1: Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on the show, brother. Please do give us a shout if you're in true next at anyone just feel we chill.
2: I yeah, will do that. It's uh, on our list we need to come and visit. And thank you all for listening. Please do look for and follow the show on your favorite podcast platform and share the updates widely on LinkedIn, where lending nerds are found in our largest concentration. Plus, send me a connection request while you're there this show is written and recorded by myself, Brendan Lagrange in Brighton, England, and edited by Fina Charlson of FC Productions. Show music is by I Am Wake, and you can find show notes and written transcripts at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show or just www.htlmts.show. And I'll see you again next Thursday.